Welcome to Chatter. I'm Catherine Pompilio, Associate Editor of Lawfare. This week, the Eras Tour with Benjamin Wittes. We were sitting literally opposite the building that had once eradicated Estonian sovereignty. And we were projecting the flag of a country that Russia is now trying to eradicate their sovereignty. Estonia is an extremely forward-leaning pro-Western state, but it does that while having a Russian population that is, you know, not sympathetic to the West at all. The ultimate thing that the special military operation represents is the invasion of Russian territory using only light in a fashion that is harmless to humans, but symbolically extremely offensive. Benjamin Wittes, welcome back to Chatter. How are you? I am about as exhausted as I have been in a very long time, um, but exhilarated and uh, winding up this uh, crazy mischief adventure and very delighted with how it's gone so far. Yeah, so you've been bopping around. Where are you calling from right now? I am right now in Oslo in Norway, um, where I am going to be for less than 24 hours. I am here. I arrived by train this afternoon and uh, will conduct a, as best as I can tell, entirely illegal uh, uh, projection operation against the Russian embassy here. Uh, this evening, and assuming I do not get arrested and um, am prevented, thereby prevented from doing so, I will be on a flight to Iceland tomorrow where I will do the same thing in Reykjavik. Amazing. I'm a little nervous, but let's get into that. (laughs) Um, So you are on your personal, or not your personal, but you are on your ERA's tour. And when people think- Okay, you are on your personal Eras tour. (laughs) Yeah, I think we can call it my personal Eras tour at this point. Well, you know, the Taylor Swift Eras tour, when she re-records her albums, it's the, uh, you know, like Taylor Swift parentheses Taylor's version. So we can just call this Eras tour parentheses Ben's version. Exactly. And, Um, you know, just because I, I don't want anyone to think I was ripping off Taylor Swift here, when Taylor Swift says Eras, uh the R-A-S in eras are not capitalized. Whereas when I say eras, it's a different word. It's an acronym. It stands for eradicating Russian ambassadorial sleep. So it has nothing to do with Taylor Swift. It's just totally a coincidence that Mm -hmm. uh, the appropriate name uh, for this tour happened to coincide with uh, her naming of, of her tour. Gotcha. So could you talk a little bit, what's this tour all about? What's the, you know, what's the purpose of the tour other than what it stands for? Well, um, I I did choose a title that I thought was going to be evocative of the purpose as people who have listened to our previous chatter know, I have spent a lot of time over the last year and a half uh, conducting projections, uh, light projections against the Russian embassy in Washington, 
and I decided it was time to take this on the road. And I thought the logical place to start would be uh, in Finland and uh, Sweden, which are, of course, the two most recent admittees to NATO, except that uh, Turkey continues to prevent Swedish NATO accession. So that remains a little bit aspirational. Um, but the thought was uh, start in the new NATO countries. And then um, uh, I decided also to include, um, it was important for me to me to do Estonia for reasons that we will talk about, I'm sure. And then um, I thought, hey, why not throw in Norway and Iceland, among other things, because I haven't been to Oslo in 30 years, not that I'm going to see much of it today, and also because uh, there are erupting volcanoes in Reykjavik, or ne right near Reykjavik, and I thought it'd be kind of cool to grill a hot dog on a on a erupting volcano. Unreal. I love that. Um, so... Before we get into your travels and all of your different operations and all of these different places, what is it like getting Lord Laser uh, through TSA and other border security? Is it hard or? So do I do don't want to give aid and comfort to anyone who may want to take uh, a powerful laser on a flight for malicious reasons of any kind, because Lord knows that is not what I have been doing. Um, it is shockingly easy, um, and uh, I, Lord Laser has not provoked secondary screening in any country yet, um, wow. not TSA, not uh, even the French police who, on my last uh, international projection operation, were very, very difficult to deal with and kind of detained me in, in, in Paris for a little while. Um, uh, the French airport security people had no problem with Lord Laser at all. Uh, the one thing you can't do is check it as luggage because, you know, uh, the laser has a lithium ion battery and lithium ion batteries are not appropriate in checked luggage, but that seems to be the only concern. Um, and so the answer is, Yes, uh, complex disco lasers are totally kosher as um, as carry-on luggage. Wow. Okay, so you hop on a plane with your laser and you land in Finland and you go to Helsinki. And you mentioned why Helsinki, but just walk us through what happened when you land. What, what was your first step when you got there? Okay, so first of all, uh, Helsinki, I wanted to do Helsinki uh, first because, you know, it is the newest uh, member of NATO. And I also have uh, a good friend uh, in, in Helsinki who has uh, uh, been on the Lawfare podcast a couple times, uh, has written for Lawfare, Mina Olander, uh, who uh, was uh, kind of going to be the host of, of the Finnish operation. And for a variety of reasons uh, related to her and another friend's schedules, um, we needed to do it on the day that I landed. And so uh, the, the day that I landed in Finland um, was the first projection operation. I got to the hotel, took a brief nap, and, uh, um, and then a, a team that consisted of 
of uh, two friends a, uh, of, of mine, a Ukrainian activist whom I met that day, um, uh, showed up in, in my hotel room and we prepped the laser and walked over to the Russian embassy. I got, uh, it was not the best operation I've ever done, which is why we ended up trying to redo it or really redoing it um, a few days later. Um, but take one, I got three images onto the face of the embassy and then uh, the intercom of the embassy comes on and um, uh, this is the most embarrassing uh, thing. Um, so, the, you know, I, I speak a little bit of Russian from having three years of college Russian 30 years ago, but most of it's not usable. Like I can understand things, but I can't really speak anymore. And so this intercom comes on and uh, the guy says in Russian, good evening. And so I repeat it back at him. And then he says to me, what are you doing? And um, what I meant to say was in, in, in my mind, what I said in perfect Russian was, um, you know, we're projecting uh, against the embassy, um, uh, uh, you know, to remind you what assholes you are. Um, but it came out with this just gleeful one word uh, projection. Um, and so, um, <laughs> I think he must have thought I was like some, some kind of a clown or something. So they called the Finnish police and, uh, we had gotten three beautiful images up on the face of the embassy when the Finnish police showed up and, uh, uh, and shut us down. Um, and um, so that was the end of uh, Special Military Operation Helsinki Take One. But um, one, of the, one of the police officers said something that made us think uh, collectively that a Take Two might be in order. And uh, that was, you know, he said it, it might be different if you had a permit. Mm. And so as I went to the next stop, on the tour, which was um, uh, uh, Tallinn in Estonia, um, my local Confederates in Helsinki got to work uh, trying to apply for a permit and figuring out under what conditions the Finnish police would would tolerate uh, uh, a take two. And so uh, um, that turned out to be a pretty interesting negotiation. And so we ended up, uh, I ended up coming back to Helsinki a few days later. Before your first uh, short-lived operation, were there any, you know, diplomatic or law enforcement preparations that you made beforehand? Or were you just hoping for the best? Yeah, so my basic view is... In each country, unless there is some specific reason to pre-program with law enforcement, I feel like I should just show up, project, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Now, there are three reasons to not, you know, to negotiate stuff with law enforcement in advance. Um, 
one of them is because they shut you down as they did in Finland. And so, you know, we were very compliant and cooperative when they told us we couldn't project. And so then, you know, we went back to them with the question of, well, okay, what are the conditions in which a projection operation would be okay? So one one set of circumstances in which you're really, you know, a negotiation with the authorities makes a lot of sense is in a situation where you know that because they've stopped you from projecting that if you don't do it, um, they will not consider it lawful. The second condition, which is what happened in Estonia, um, is that we were contemplating something that could be dangerous and we didn't want to take the police by surprise by, uh, with it um, be, for two separate reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, and so I and my local confederate, who in that case is the former president of the country, um, decided it was only responsible to advise the police in advance of what we intended to do. And that involved a uh, protracted set of conversations with the police that were very fruitful, by the way, and that did cause us to cancel part of the operation and focus on the other part. And then the third condition is um, when you're working with somebody locally who is uncomfortable doing something in a guerrilla fashion. So my own fear of, you know, when I started doing this in Washington, I didn't ask anybody's permission. And the Secret Service told me, hey, just don't do X, Y, or Z. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how you learn what's okay. And I'm really comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with that. I did the same thing in Canada. I did the same thing in France, which almost led to an arrest. Mm -hmm. uh, I did the same thing in um, the first take in Finland. And I'm going to do the same thing tonight in Norway and, and uh, tomorrow night in Reykjavik. And so for my own sake, I, I have no concerns about this. I figure the worst that will happen is, you know, I get arrested and have a some sort of fine or citation uh, or, you know, spend a night in a Norwegian prison, which I hear is not the most unpleasant <laughs> hotel accommodations in the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm not, I'm really not worried about that. But if you happen to, uh, are working with people who, you know, live in the country and uh, maybe have professional relationships with uh, the security services of one sort or another, or maybe aspire to, um, you don't want to do anything that's going to put somebody in a difficult position. And so that's, you know, what happened in Sweden. And I just, we just made an advanced decision that we would apply for a permit and work with the Swedish police to do it under whatever conditions were appropriate uh, by their lights. And so there was a negotiation there too. So I do a kind of mix of guerrilla and, um, and very negotiated arrangements. The, the basic contours of which are the more I'm acting by myself, the more I'm willing to be, you know, I'm willing to just try it 
And I'm always compliant if they say, hey, you can't do that, shut it off. I shut it off and that's the end of it. So I've never really had real trouble with the police except in, except in Paris. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, but when other people are involved, you have to take their sensibilities too into account too. And, uh, and in particular in Estonia, there were some genuine safety uh, concerns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll definitely get into that. But before moving on, what sort of images did you project um, in Helsinki? And we can talk about it later, but do you, are they different from the ones that you've been projecting in Washington? Um, talk a little bit about those. Yeah, so in each of these cases, I have tried to do something that's specific to the community. Uh, um, I have not been wildly successful with that in the sense that uh, uh, a bunch of the stuff that I, the slogans in, uh, um, in Estonian and Finnish that I programmed the laser, uh, to do got garbled and got mixed with each other. And one thing I, I have many skills in life, but one of them is not distinguishing Estonian from, from Finnish, um, both of which are, uh, look almost identical to, uh, English speaking, uh, eyes. And so I'm afraid I did project a little bit of Estonian in, in Finland and a little bit of Finnish in Estonia, um, mm -hmm. for which I ask the forgiveness of the Estonian and Finnish nations. Um, mostly these are because, I, you know, I'm traveling light. Um, mostly these are uh, a very similar slate of images uh, to the ones that I have been using, uh, at home. Gotcha. Um, so after Helsinki, you went to Estonia, uh, where in Estonia did you go and how'd you get there? Right. So Estonia is a, uh, Tallinn, the capital of Estonia is a two and a half hour ferry ride from Helsinki. And so you basically get on a large ferry and you're there um, for those who have never visited Tallinn, it is the most astonishingly beautiful city in Northern Europe um, and uh, incredible food, uh, really just a fascinating place and one of the great walking cities I've ever been in. So go to Tallinn. Um, so the first thing I did in Tallinn was... Uh, other than scouting out the embassy there, um, was to get on a train and leave and to go to this little town called Narva, which is about a two and a half hour train ride away and is right on the Russian border, um, separated from the Russian Federation by a, a river, maybe a third the width of the Potomac. Um, so think... Think of a small town on a small river, and on the other side of the river is Russia. Um, and, the, and on either side of the river is a fortress. So on the, on the Estonian side is a, uh, a tower, a kind of castle-like fortress. Um, uh, um, and it faces immediately across the river this uh, 
I mean, it, it's kind of like if you imagined like the set from Lord of the Ring and a kind of Mordor <laughs> set, the Avangarad Fortress, which was uh, built by Ivan the Terrible, um, uh, sits there looking menacing. And, you know, this is a very famous um, location among people who um, think about, you know, NATO-Russia relations, because it's literally where NATO and Russia, you know, are nose to nose. And so the thought was to project from the Estonian side onto the Avangarad fortress and to project also from the Estonian side onto the Narva fortress such that you could, it would be visible in a very provocative way from Ivangorod across the river. So that was the aim. And for reasons both obvious and non-obvious, this uh, was a matter of security concern, both um, uh, to to Estonian authorities. um, And so I ended up in a significant set of conversations with them through a, a variety of intermediaries. Um, and so I, could you talk a little bit more about Narva? Is there a large Russian population in Narva? Yes. Yeah, um, so Narva is um, a town of about 50, 60,000 people. It is almost entirely Russian. And when I say Russian here, I don't mean Russian in the sense that we say, you know, Russian speaking Ukrainians, right? Like, you know, President Zelensky, for example, is native Russian speaking, but he's a Ukrainian. I mean, he's the president of Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, in Ukraine, the, what language you speak does not actually indicate much about your politics, no, no matter what Vladimir Putin wants people to think. But in Estonia, it matters extremely. Um, and the reason is that in World War II, um, this town was uh, destroyed completely. Um, there are very almost no old buildings left in Narva. It's uh, was kind of rebuilt by the by the Soviets, and as they did in many parts of Eastern Europe, uh, they just moved large numbers of Russians in, and this was a very self conscious policy of Russification. And I think at the time of Estonian independence in in the early nineties, uh, uh, it was about twenty twenty five percent Russian, and the mostly the Russians in Estonia have not taken Estonian citizenship. They are actually Russian citizens. So you have this town that is right across the river from Russia and whose population is uh, not just Russian speaking, but a very large percentage of them are actually remain to this day Russian citizens. And they are... um, relatively hostile to, uh, they're mostly, their political sympathies are with Russia, including the Russian regime. And so it's a very tense uh, situation. 
um, the details of which we can talk about if you want. But um, yeah. the, you know, there have been a number of violent incidents uh, in which Estonians feeling like this is part of Estonia should be able to send a message to uh, people on the other side of the river. Uh, a, one person hung a giant banner that said Putin war criminal from the Narva castle so that it would be visible to uh, uh, people on the Avangarad side. This really inflamed Russian Narva Russian sensibilities. There have also been a couple of, you know, scuffles and um, and so there were really two concerns on the part of authorities. One is, you know, the international relations concern of 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 you know doing something cross border. Mm -hmm. I actually think that was the the lesser of the two concerns. Uh, Estonians really, at the end of the day, don't have a problem provoking the Russian state. Mm -hmm. uh, the big, the much bigger concern was the concern about violence in this community. And it was a concern about just, you know, part of a much larger uh, intercommunal relations concern. How do you, you know, Estonia is an extremely forward-leaning pro-Western state, but it has a you know, it does that while having a Russian population that is, uh, you know, not sympathetic to the West at all. And so there's a, there's a, how do you manage that? And one way is, it turns out, you do not encourage uh, uh, people to come in from the outside and, uh, you know, do things that are provocative. I had never intended it to be provocative to the local community. My my object was to be provocative across the river. But the concern of the Estonian police was largely a concern about violence on on the Estonian side of the river. And so I, you know, you know, guided by... Um, uh, a number of people, including uh, the former president, Ilvis, who was kind of my partner on this project and former chatter guest, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, Thomas thought that the um, concerns were, were non-trivial. And um, I particularly respected that the Estonian police did not order us not to do it. They asked us to reconsider our plans to do it. And um, they made their case and I found it compelling. And mm -hmm. so we canceled it. So Narva is a lot different than, you know, previous special military operation locations. I feel like most of them, the ones that we've done recently and in the US have been more forward leaning cities with, you know, obviously more of a pro-Ukraine population. So this is really unique to that. What were you thinking walking around this town? How were you feeling? So I did not advertise why I was there. Um, mm -hmm. And so I didn't have any unpleasant interactions with people. It's a very weird place. Um, Estonia is 
you know, has a per capita income now that is, and per capita GDP that's in the, in the, the very highly developed uh, department, you know, I think it's $27,000, $28,000 a year per capita, and its purchasing power parity uh, is similar to Japan, you know. So mm-hmm. people in Estonia have done extremely well, and that includes people in Narva. It's not a, a rich town mm-hmm. by any means, but boy, as a matter of freedom and um, and um, you know, the ability not to be arbitrarily arrested and the ability to make a living on at Western standards, would you rather live in Narva than across the river? And yet, the population is sympathetic to governance across the river, right? And mm-hmm. so it has a very weird quality to it. Um, and that, but that's just the sort of domestic quality, right? So you go into these quite fancy-looking shopping malls, and there are no Estonian flags. There's no. I mean, Estonia is a super patriotic country, but mm. like you go into a shopping mall at Narva, and the food is traditional Russian food. The um, you know you don't see a lot of Russian flags either, but it's conspicuously unlike the Estonian parts where you will see a lot of Ukrainian flags. In fact, you see more Ukrainian flags than you do Estonian flags. And you will see, um, but it's like really not like that. So that's one weird thing about it. And the other weird thing about it is that, you know, this is a city that, all the cities like it that aren't in NATO have been invaded and taken over by the Russians. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you think about what's the difference between Narva and Transdenistria in, in Moldova? Uh, what's the difference between this and, you know, Abkhazia in, in Georgia, right? The areas that uh, or than Donbass in Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. In all of these areas, you have Russian-speaking populations that are to one degree or another, you know, and it's, and it's con- always contested, right? In Donbass, it's not clear to me that there was substantial pro-Russian sentiment, although there was some. Mm-hmm. Um, and Putin in has a very clear pattern of using the supposed oppression of these Russian-speaking communities to justify military interventions against their states, seizing of these territories. Sometimes they get incorporated into Russia. More often, they kind of get recognized as independent, by, recognized by Russia as independent somehow. Um, and they effectively become little Moscow um, outposts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hasn't happened in Narva. And the reason that hasn't happened is NATO, right? And, you know, I have never seen anywhere where the power of NATO to defend human freedom 
is more visible than that river. That, mm. you know, you look around, you look around Narva and it's a thriving, admittedly politically weird, but thriving part of the European Union. You, the, you know, it, everything's in euros. Uh, you have Estonian, uh, you know, quite world-class service delivery, uh, government service delivery. Um, you have, you know, the, you know, uh, uh, European regulatory culture with its, you know, virtues and vices. Um, and you say, how long would that last without the security guarantees of NATO? And the answer is weeks or months, not years. Um, and it's a very powerful visual and experiential uh, teaching about, at least to me, about, you know, what making NATO not an abstraction um, and what it actually means in, in the lives of real people. Yeah, the way I'm thinking about it, based off how you describe it, is NATO is kind of this invisible shield, right? It's not even that invisible. I mean, yeah. not, not not that there's a lot of troops there. There there aren't, but um, there's a border crossing, mm -hmm. and when you cross that border, you are crossing from Russia into the European Union. So the border crossing is, you know, it's an it's it's an Estonian border crossing, but it's also an EU border crossing, and you are also crossing from. Vladimir Putin's authoritarianism into the Western alliance. And that, um, and it's super, super visible what mm. that line is in both senses. And you do have to stop and think about it. Like, why does this, why does this continue? Why does it get over, not get overrun? this thing that feels a little bit like Checkpoint Charlie in Berlin, which I am actually old enough to remember having been to, um, you know, and the answer is the same answer as um, was true at Checkpoint Charlie, which is NATO and ultimately the U.S. security umbrella. And interestingly, nobody in Estonia whom I talked to had the remotest doubt of that in a way that if you, you know, if you hang out in, uh, in, you know, further away from that line, people have all kinds of skepticisms about NATO. And some of them are, you know, valid, I suppose. But the closer you get to that line and the more the more time you spend with communities that are either protected by that line as in Estonia or us wish they were like Ukrainians, um, that shield becomes a, a really powerful emotional idea. Yeah. Did you get to spend some more time? Did you? How much time did you spend there? 
Um, did you get to explore the city at all? Or the oh, yeah. So I, I um, you can tour Narva in a few hours. It's not, it's not very large. And in each of these cities that I've been in, I've sort of made a point of walking about 10 miles. So the, my week has been uh, 10 miles per day, that is. So mm -hmm. my week has been consisted of entirely of, and I made it sort of decision that I was going to do no indoor tourist attractions of any kind. So no museums, no, and there, each of these cities has amazing museums and things, but mm -hmm. I just wanted to be outdoors as much as possible. And so I, every day I have done, as you know, a, more lawfare work than I have wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, thanks to Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, I, I haven't exactly been on vacation, but I've done a combination of walking through these, some of them incredibly beautiful, like Tallinn, some of them not beautiful at all, like Narva, um, but fa completely fascinating places. Um, and then uh, preparing for and doing projection operations. And so it's been actually completely exhausting and a great deal of fun. Amazing. So after, after Narva, you went back to Tallinn, correct? Yeah. Went back to Tallinn. And, um, and so one of the, because we had really advised the police very specifically of what we intended to do, um, what we found out was that their concerns were all about Narva and they did not have mm -hmm. concerns about Tallinn, um, what we were planning in Tallinn. So we told them we were not going to pursue the Narva thing. They, uh, and they in turn, uh, there was no causal link between these, but they issued a permit for the, uh, for the Tallinn operation which as a result, and which had essentially no conditions attached to it, um, un unlike what happened in Helsinki and, and Stockholm, there were no restrictions on our ability to project. And the result was that uh, Tomas and I and a, a lovely group of Stanford students who were all interning in Tallinn for the summer uh, sat outside the embassy, first just on the street, um, and projected onto the embassy. And then as the rain picked up, we eventually moved. That Tallinn has this wonderful culture in the old town of outdoor bars. And <laughs> there was one right across from the embassy that was, um, uh, um, you know, had covered areas. And so uh, we just moved the laser and sat around having beers uh, at this this lovely outdoor restaurant and projecting. And the thing about Tallinn, which is different from every other location I've ever projected and is that the embassy sits in a right in the middle of the most highly foot trafficked area of town. So it's like, you know, there's this old town that is the tourist part of of Tallinn and right in the middle of it on a narrow street is this Russian embassy and so as you project you know normally when I'm projecting the principal audience is 
an audience that won't see it for days because I'll collect a lot of video clips and then I'll kind of edit it. But here there was this amazing just local foot traffic. Um, and because Tallinn is, has an, just an extraordinary number of Ukrainian refugees, I think it's the, one of the countries that has, on a per capita basis, taken in the most Ukrainians. Um, the percentage of people who walked by who were Ukrainian um, was just unlike anything I've ever dealt with before. And, um, you know, some of them were previously aware of, of projection operations and some of them weren't. Um, but it was a, a pretty neat thing about the Tallinn thing was just the reactions of uh you know, Ukrainians of all different ages and um, uh, who just happened to walk by. Yeah. What were you hearing from them? So, well, I mean, that, there was obviously a lot of enthusiasm for the mm -hmm. undertaking. Um, uh, there was also, you know, some of them were very moved that a former president of the country who was just kind of sitting out there on a street corner doing this. And, yeah. you know, Tomas wasn't operating the laser, but he was in every sense a participant in the operation. And that means you, that includes the fact that, you know, there were two folding chairs and one of them had me and one of them had him. And we were, you know, sitting literally opposite the, the building that had once eradicated Estonian sovereignty um, in 1940. And we were projecting the flag of a country that Russia is now trying to eradicate their sovereignty. And so th these are things that kind of have to be explained to some Western audiences. They do not need to be explained to... Um, Ukrainians who happened to walk by. And so I, I think there was the, op this was a very special, um, a very special, special military operation, just because the intimacy of it with the community that that embassy sits in was extreme, mm -hmm. um, both Estonian and, although in the summer there aren't that many actual Estonians in Old Town. There are more Finns. Um, but, um, you know, both Estonians and Ukrainians and all kinds of other people who happened to walk by. And, and you know, the fact that Tomas was just sitting there and, you know, there was no sign on him that said, you know, former, <laughs> former president of Estonia. Um, but he... Um, uh, you know, people figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, I'll let you talk more about this, but it's, it's out of terror, something really, you know, still fighting the same enemy, just different people, but it's still, it's a really beautiful, um, I don't know, really, it must've been really beautiful to see. And also you, um, I saw on your sub stack that, um, could you talk a little bit about the significance about the balcony on the embassy? Yeah. So there have been, a couple of things, visual things or human things that have just blown me away. Um, 
and this balcony is one of them. So um, this building has been, I don't know when it first became the Soviet embassy and later the Russian embassy, but um, in 1940, the Soviets, you know, essentially took over Estonia. Mm-hmm. And they sent to the Gulag uh, a very large number of Estonians who um, were nationalists or, you know, had previously run the Estonian state. Uh, this was the end of Estonian nationhood, at least internationally, until the fall of the Soviet Union and its reassertion. Um, and when, when we were getting ready to, to a few days before the projection, Tomas mentioned to me, you know, by the way, the balcony of that building is the balcony from which Andrei Zhdanov um, declared the, that Estonia had joined the Soviet Union. Zhdanov um, was one of Stalin's uh, most murderous henchmen, and he's uh, largely, I don't know if credited is the right word, but he's correctly understood to be the figure who, on Stalin's behalf, managed the absorption of Estonia, which, you know, you might call the conquering or the... um, you know, the takeover. And so I, I was kind of amazed by this that, you know, like, and, and Tomas had said, there's a picture or a newsreel of him making this announcement from this balcony. So I, you know, I went home and Google, went back to my hotel room and Googled it. And sure enough, there is, a newsreel of him standing out there proclaiming essentially the end of Estonian statehood. Hmm. And I thought, wow, we are going to project a Ukrainian flag on the, the flag of a country whose continued existence is right now contested because of Russian military activity and the, you know, the Russian state's aspirations to destroy it. We are going to project the flag of that country onto the balcony from which this country's, i.e. Estonia's sovereignty was removed. And, you know, I can't think about that without getting very emotional about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yesterday I was in Stockholm and I told this story at a rally um, video of which is this of my speech and of the the crowd's reaction crowd included a lot of um, Baltic state representatives and people. And you know, again, this is something that requires, I've just probably given a five, seven minute explanation of it for people who are, you know, for Americans who, for whom Eastern European and Baltic history is 
you know, not something they grew up with, you know, these are things that have to be explained. But all I had to say at that rally was that we projected a Ukrainian flag onto the balcony of the embassy from which Zhdanov had declared the absorption of Estonia. And that was a moment in that uh, to, to Swedes, to, uh, to the Baltic people present. And there was a, sort of an eruption of applause. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it was definitely one of the moments for which, uh, you know, the whole trip was worth it just, just to promulgate the, the visual image which you know, I hope, you know, the internet never forgets, um, will that, you know, that's not Zhdanov's balcony anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to emphasize the point you made about kind of Americans understanding of all of this, um, versus Europeans and mostly Baltic people in the Baltic states is that like Americans perspective on this is yes, it's bad. And yes, it's happening, but we don't know. It kind of, like you said, has to be explained to us. Um, and also the oceans are very big. Yeah. We're an ocean away. Um, so it's happening, but it's a lot less real. Right. Um, and also, you know, there are a lot of Ukrainian refugees in Washington, but you don't hear Russian and Ukrainian spoken in the streets. Yeah. You know, in Estonia, you hear as much Russian as you do Estonian. And that is both because there are a lot of Russians in Estonia, but also because there are a huge number of Russian-speaking Ukrainians in, uh, who are refugees. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the intimacy of the conflict is extreme. And, you know, I ran, met some guys in Stockholm yesterday who spend all their free time they buy trucks and they fill them with all kinds of aid, whatever they're hearing people need. Um, and then they drive the trucks into Ukraine and mm -hmm. leave everything there, including the trucks, because, you know, trucks are really, really important and in short supply. Mm -hmm. um, and so then they take the train back and do it again. And basically they go in whenever they can fill a vehicle. Um, and that's, you know, these are just people I met on the street, you know, Swedes I met on the street in Stockholm yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's an intimacy to the conflict here that is, you know, particularly in the countries with borders physical, you know, uh, uh, land borders or maritime borders with Russia, there is an intimacy with the conflict. And there's also an, in an intimacy with the communities affected by it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's talk through Stockholm. How is it? How did your special military operation go? Well, we should do Helsinki take two first. Oh, yeah. You went back to Helsinki. Yeah. After so after I left Estonia, I got on the ferry and went back to um, wow. to to Helsinki. And um, the in the meantime, my intrepid local conspirators 
uh, had been negotiating with the police, pointing out to them that, you know, the police in Tallinn had responded very differently. Um, and we figured out through these negotiations what the specific police concerns were. Since this is lawfare, I'm actually going to spell out the law of this. Love it. The, um, all of these countries have robust free speech traditions, particularly Sweden, actually. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole um, set of controversies in Sweden about Swedish protection as free speech of Quran burnings and related uh, uh, matters. So, you know, these are countries that have very strong free speech traditions. Um, but they are also countries, with the exception of Estonia, that take a very robust view of the host country's obligations under the Vienna Convention of 1961 to protect the premises of foreign embassies. And, you know, I want to say that in both Sweden and Finland's case, particularly Finland, uh, this is understandable. You know, the Finnish had a, had a longstanding policy of, which was necessary to finish survival because of course the, the Soviets had, had fought a major war against the Finns uh, and finished survival after what's called the Winter War and the Continuation War was not a foregone conclusion. And one of the ways that Finland maintained its independence was by having a policy, first of all, never aligning with NATO. It took mm. Putin to change that. But secondly, to have a policy of really never offending the Soviet Union. And one of the expressions of that is this giant Russian diplomatic compound right in the heart of Helsinki, which is huge. I mean, it's the size of the facility in Washington. And, wow. and it represents Russia to 5 million Finns. And it's really, an, I mean, I think the best way to understand it is, is as a expression of kind of big swinging dick imperialism. Like we, we can put 500 people in your downtown and you have to protect them uh, and you're never allowed to offend them. And the Finns, you know, that was the world they had to navigate during during a, a very long period. And one of the mechanisms they have for this was by being protective of the embassy, um, by making so the difference between the way the police in Tallinn respond and the way the, you know, the police in Helsinki responded was pretty striking. Um, but then we started negotiating with the police in Helsinki and we actually identified their principle which is that unlike the United States, Canada, and Estonia, they do think that Article 22 of the Vienna Convention requires them to stop people from projecting onto the embassy or onto the embassy grounds. Hmm. But they have no problem with projections. And so we, I proposed 
and I actually wrote it up in on the Substack, the following legal theory, which was, okay, under the Finnish and Swedish, the Swedish took the same view of projecting on embassies, so the same view of Article 22 of the Vienna Convention. Under that theory, it should be fine to project in the direction of the embassy as long as the light hits something before it hits the embassy or the embassy grounds. And what I was particularly thinking about was rocks, ground embankments of some kind, and trees. Um, so most many embassies, particularly Russian embassies, will have trees that they use to rows of trees that kind of line the embassy compound uh, right at the fence by way of preventing people from, you know, using, uh, you know, looking in too, too gleefully. Um, and so I thought, well, we could use the foliage as the projection screen. Uh, so in the Swedes bought this. So the Swedes took the position that as long as the leaf that you're projecting onto or the leaves are hanging outside of the embassy fence, it doesn't matter if the trunk of the tree is planted in the Russian side. That was my oh. proposal accepted by the, the Swedish police, not accepted by the Finnish police. The Finnish police took a more uh, conservative stance still, which was if a tree is planted on the Russian side, even if you're projecting on the tree on the Finnish municipal side, you are still projecting against property of the embassy. And mm -hmm. so they issued a permit for the, it's not in Finland, it's not really a permit, but they accepted our notification that we were going to be projecting. They had no problem with our projecting on the street in front of the embassy, on rocks uh, around the embassy, and on buildings. And there were some big bedrock formations that come out of the ground there that were actually nice to project on. And residential buildings in the neighborhood, as long as the neighbors didn't complain, which none of them did. Mm -hmm. um, and so in, in Finland, we had a, um, and I still haven't edited most of this video, but there's, um, we basically did a giant circuit around the embassy compound and we found things that were lawful to project onto. And we had no trouble with the Finnish police under those circumstances. Sweden was weird, weirder, on both more restrictive and less. So less restrictive in that they accepted my view of trees. And trees are great to project onto because mm -hmm. they create a beautiful kind of textured look. Um, and so we could project right at the embassy as long as there was a tree in the way. So we have a lot of good images from yesterday of the embassy with an image in front of it. Um, on the other hand, the Swedes were super neurotic about keeping us within the very specific part of a park 
that was where we were permitted to have this demonstration. And so it's a weird combination of um, uh, every country, you know, produces some slightly different uh, outline of, you know, what it does and doesn't tolerate. And the special military operations are a little bit different conditioned by the laws of different democratic societies, which I think is actually kind of cool that, you know, yeah. you, you go to, you go to Tallinn and because of Estonian law, a projection operation is going to be very different from in Helsinki across the, across the Gulf of Finland. And that's going to be different from Sweden because of a different view of the international relations status of trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so in in Finland we had great mobility. We we really got images from all over the place, um, but we couldn't use trees. Mm-hmm. And in Sweden we had no mobility, but we could use trees. Um, and wow. so you know, there's a you know, y- you just find in a in a very adaptive way that you kind of work with the conditions that you've got. Um, in Sweden, we also had one other thing, two other things that we didn't have. I've, one of them I've never had um, before. Um, uh, the other one is familiar to the Washington group, which is that the Russians had their own spotlights there and tried to drown us out. And mm-hmm. we were they couldn't do that with trees because they're on the other side of the tree. But um, we projected onto a large skyscraper um, near that faces the embassy, and the Russians responded uh, by shining their own spotlights on that. And so we have some good video video footage of what is always my favorite part of special military operations, which is Russian reaction. Love it. They're talking to the people in Washington. It sounds like. I think the, yeah, I think they called Washington or something. Um, there were suspicious, there, there was a suspiciously Washington-like quality to the <laughs> Swedish, but not Finnish embassy, uh, Russian reaction. In Finland, they were at very much like in Tallinn, there was just no reaction from the embassy at, the, at all other than, mm-hmm. you know, asking me what I was doing on a, on an intercom. Um, in, in Sweden, they had a whole team out there. Um, they were very provoke, you know, they were very making a show of responding. And I think that that felt much more like Washington. Hmm. So what was the second thing that had never happened to you before? Uh, an organic crowd developed. So in Washington, we sometimes have, you know, I've sometimes done this in cooperation with local Ukrainian activist groups, particularly uh, U.S. Ukrainian activists, um, and they will often turn out a crowd. And I will, you know, I usually announce that I'm going to do it, and sometimes curious onlookers come. Um, and there's a certain amount of foot traffic on Wisconsin Avenue, although not all that much at night. Mm -hmm. So you never, what you never have is a group of people who turn out 
to watch and support the projection itself. Um, and what happened in Sweden was I was invited yesterday to speak at a um, at this at a rally um, in in Stockholm, and I mentioned that I was doing it. And if you if you pull the speech, there's a point at which I say, you know, almost in a pro forma way, I invite you all to come. Uh, we're going to have a, you know, we're going to have some fun. And, but it, it was the way I always sort of throw it out there. Hey, you know, it's open to the public, you know, feel free to show up. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of people shouted back, what time? <laughs> and, um, and then a whole bunch of people showed up and, you know, these were, um, mostly Swedes, um, who, you know, this uh, was not the, it was not a Ukrainian community thing. It was just Swedes who care about Ukraine and who had been at this, um, at this rally that afternoon. And I was, I thought that was really interesting that, you know, if you announce that you're doing this in Washington, you know, you, you get a lot of people will text you saying, I love that you're doing this. And mm-hmm. a few people will text you saying, have you lost your mind? Um, <laughs> but people don't show up. But there yeah. were probably 50 people there um, wow. who came by because I said I was doing it and because it was um, because they were politically symp- sympathetic to it. And I, I think that's, again, has something to do with the intimacy of the, of the conflict to people here. Um, and you know, I, I, I also had the, so the Russian embassy is immediately across the street from one of Sweden's largest daily newspapers. And they sent a camera crew and asked me to write an op-ed about it. So I had a, as a result, my, Mm -hmm my first Swedish language op-ed. It was, it was, it was hard to learn <laughs> Swedish that quickly, but I pulled it off. Um, and, um, you know, and so I, I, I think one of the interesting things about Sweden was just how, um, how involved just people in Stockholm are, which, you know, was not what I was expecting at all. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so what, where to next? And I guess in other words, what are your plans tonight in Oslo? So it is now, uh, I think it's around six 30 here. Um, mm-hmm. I am going to charge up the laser, charge my <laughs> computer. I am going to, as soon as we're done, I'm going to go do my case, the joint walk. Um, <laughs> in which I, I'm looking for a location that has a direct view of the embassy that has a table and a chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that serves beer. Um, <laughs> and so the ideal special military operation Oslo will be unannounced entirely mm-hmm. guerrilla. And the goal is to do it subtly enough that it is hard for the target to figure out where it's coming from that buys me time to, um, 
project for longer before the police get involved if they choose to get involved. Um, wow. And, you know, as always, the, uh, the live stream, uh, I, I, will, I run a live stream, which I do less because I want people to see it live um, than because it's a way of collecting a repository of material on YouTube so that people can later go back and scavenge them for screenshots and that and clips and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I will live stream this and I will, um, the goal is simply to get as many images on without, you know, f and to have them on for as long as possible um, before anybody tells me to stop. And as always, I am committed to complying with uh, law enforcement uh, requests and demands. Um, so, you know, I'm not in Norway to violate Norwegian law. And if the cops tell me to stop, I will stop. And if they tell me I have violated Norwegian law and need to, you know, uh, pay a fine or, you know, spend a day in the stocks, I will, um, uh, you know, happily accept uh, Norwegians throwing rotten fruit at me. <laughs> Do you have any uh, co-conspirators for this one? Or are you no, writing solo? No, um, this one is a totally solo one, as is Reykjavik. Um, and yeah, I'm, um, I, 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 I love the collaborations and, but sometimes, uh, special military operations, just as in Washington, sometimes I just go out by myself and, and do them. Um, sometimes I like to do it by myself. Wow. Well, I'll be watching the live stream and uh, you, you're listening to this. I guess it comes out after the, the operation. So check Ben's Substack to see the video. Um, let's Okay, so next up is Reykjavik. And is that the end of your Eras tour? Yes, or? the Eras tour ends in Reykjavik. And there are only two reasons I'm going to Reykjavik at all. Um, one is that um, the last time I was in Iceland, there were no erupting volcanoes that were easily accessible. <laughs> and there are some right now that are right near the airport. And mm. so I thought I could do a special military operation and do a, um, uh, a, a trip to a lava flow in one 24-hour stop. So I thought a stopover in Iceland was worthwhile. Yeah. The second... Um, Mischief-related reason is that the embassy, the Russian embassy in Reykjavik, seems, from the Google images I've been able to get of it, to be the most comically undefended embassy uh, I've ever tried to target, and I feel like a fitting end to the Eras tour will be um, just to hit it from like five different angles and have them be able to do nothing about it. Amazing. Um, so that's my, that's my, it's admittedly not the reason many people go to Iceland, but you know. Yeah. Mischief and cooking hot dogs on lava flows. I love right. it. Yeah. Um, so let's say the era's tour continues to your, you know, what is your dream 
location for a special military operation, barring no law enforcement, no risk of arrest. Um, so I'm the, guessing the dream I, location I was Narva. Um, gotcha. And, you know, all jokes aside, um, giving up Narva was painful, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I did it because I thought it was the responsible thing to do. And, but I... I I do think it is one location that reflects the ultimate the ultimate thing that the special military operation represents, which is the invasion of Russian territory using only light in a fashion that is harmless to humans, um, but symbolically extremely offensive. The ultimate expression of that is a cross-border, not a cross-diplomatic fences operation. And there's nowhere that I know of that is a more meaningful place to do it than onto a fortress built by Ivan the Terrible that happens to be the NATO-EU border with Russia or an NATO-EU border with Russia. And so I... I uh, you know, in the Dreams Dash department, I I do regret um, the Narva uh, uh, cancellation. That said, um, Nikita Tidoff, the artist whose work I spend a lot of time projecting, uh, made me a consolation prize, which you can see on Dogshirt Daily on the Substack, which is uh, a Narva projection deepfake. Um, and it is... The projection that I wish I had done um, at Narva and Nikita, uh, who was actually born in and grew up in that area of Estonia um, and so knows Narva very intimately. Um, he is Estonian by origin, but Ukrainian, uh, he spent his adult life in, in Ukraine um, and he uh, wrote me a very sweet note that he thinks the Estonian police were right um, to be concerned about violence in that community and that he thought I was right to cancel it. Um, and so, you know, I know I did the right thing and, uh, you know, and I just want to say to everybody who may be inclined to share Nikita's image of uh, of uh, special military operation Narva uh, as though it were real, don't do that because that would be disinformation and it would be wrong. But do share it as an artistic rendering of um, special military operation Narva as it will always live in our hearts. What could have been? Um, okay, I can't let you leave without uh, asking you a question from the chatterbox, and I've picked one that I think is perfect based off of this conversation. Um, in what country other than your own would you like to live? You know, I got to say, it is very hard <laughs> to not want to live in Estonia after, um, uh, you know, after spending a little bit of time knocking around knocking around uh, and thinking about the accomplishments that that country has made 
uh, in so many different areas um, over an exceptionally short period of time, which is to say 30 years, uh, the standard of living in Estonia has gone up by a factor of, it, literally by an order of magnitude. Um, it's just been uh, an incredible accomplishment in, in human freedom and well-being. And it's gorgeous. And so I, I have to say, I'm, I'm a sucker for Estonia. If you asked me this question a different time, when I had just had an incredible experience in, um, in other countries, and I'm sure I would give you a different answer. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, Estonia, Finland, and Sweden all have a, a, a kind of special place in my heart. Amazing. I'm going to go Google pictures of Tallinn now. Um, but yeah, that is all. Ben Wittes, thank you so much for joining me. Good luck tonight. And please don't get arrested or try not to get arrested. But I, I never, never seek to get arrested, but I'm not yeah. terribly afraid of it either. All right. Thank you, Ben, so much. Thanks for having me. That was Chatter, a production of Lawfare and Go Rodeo. Please subscribe to the podcast and find us on Twitter at That Was Chatter. Thank you.